Hi, I'm Maddie and I'm a Christian who is autistic. It was never spoken out loud that I was different, but I, I just sort of picked up on, oh, I'm getting funny looks or people kind of think I'm trying to be funny when I'm taking things literally, but I just don't understand what they mean. And then, and then in terms of sensory processing, which is another huge area for me, it was, oh, no one else is hearing that buzzing that the light is making and getting distracted from their schoolwork. Yeah, so I think just noticing slowly that, okay, maybe what I'm experiencing isn't what everyone else is going through. The I'm a Christian Who podcast is real stories of real Christians. We're not here to judge. We're not here to talk politics. We're here to listen and learn how to love each other better. Now, when it comes to something like autism, there is so much misinformation out there. And a lot of that, I think, is from the church. Now, the latest statistics show that one in 44 adults are autistic. And I think that's interesting because most of us are in churches that have more than 44 people. When you think about how many of those people have autism and may not feel comfortable talking about it, I think hearing Maddie's story will help us be in a place where we can love these people better. And before we start, I'd love to give a shout out to our sponsor, Salt, the dating app made by Christians for Christians. What I love about Salt is not only does it introduce single Christians to other amazing single Christians, but it lets you match and connect on values, character traits, and interests, not just pictures and a quick paragraph. The other cool thing is they've got daily live audio events where you can connect, talk, and chat with hundreds of other single Christians on loads of different topics to dating, film, spirituality, and more. I'm actually going to be on there weekly talking about the topics that happen on this show. So if you want to give it a shot, download the SALT app today. And for those in the U.S. and Canada, use my code CWCS for three months of free premium. Wherever you are, if you meet someone special, let us know and we'll feature you on our Insta story and get SALT to pay for your next date. Go on, add some SALT to your love life. You've got nothing to lose. Okay, we have to start with this because I don't know what to say because <laughs> I've heard so many conflicting reports of do we call people with autism people with autism? Do we call you autistic, an autistic person? There's so much different information out there and I feel like no matter what I say, it's gonna offend somebody. So can you start this off by educating me and maybe everybody listening, what do we say to people who are autistic? Yeah, I, I love that question and you're right. It is a little bit intimidating because there are some really strong opinions out there. Um, a lot of health professionals and, and people in those sort of fields are taught to use um, person first language, which is where you say Maddie has autism, you know, it's putting a person separate from their diagnosis. But the majority of autistic people kind of actually prefer identity first language. So where you're saying I'm autistic. And that's just simply because we can't separate it from who we are. We were born this way. It's a lifelong condition. Uh, it's not something we're wanting to be cured. It's it's who I am. So I'm really happy to be referred to as autistic, uh, but it's really just up to the each individual. You can ask them how they want to be referred to. But yeah, thank you for asking. Yeah, most people in your, in your experience who have autism want to be called autistic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, and again, not speaking for everyone, but um, it's sort of becoming more widely acknowledged that, yeah, that's that's the preferred way, um, sort of the default way to refer to us. When, when it comes to your to your diagnosis, I think it's, it's something there's, obviously there's a ton of misinformation about there, about autism specifically. And from what I understand, it is sort of a, a spectrum. Like th there are people who are severely autistic. There are people who are, I don't, I don't even know if I can say like mildly <laughs> autistic. I don't even know what the right language is. I'm just struggling my way through this. So where are you kind of on that spectrum? 
Yeah, um, this is a, probably another point I'll just explain quickly that that <laughs> spectrum you just spoke about from, you know, mildly to extreme, um, that sort of comes from when people hear the word spectrum, that's what they think of, a linear measurements. However, when we say spectrum, we're actually talking a little bit more like imagine a color wheel um, or a pizza and each slice is like a different area that autism can affect in you. And so you might have someone who, like myself, who I can communicate and I can speak and don't have as many struggles in some areas and then maybe some more hidden struggles. And so my diagnosis, technically there are three levels of autism and I sit right in the middle. That's considered, yeah, I've got significant challenges in a lot of areas, but I'm also able to function in my life. And um, yeah. Because I, th I think a lot of people have the assumption when they hear that someone has autism, they think that they're a little more helpless than they actually are. And you are, you know, speaking with you, I know you you have a career, you have a job, you have a husband, you have, yeah. uh, I mean, for, for lack of a better term, and I hope I'm not offending anybody by saying this, you're living a normal life is, yeah. is what it feels like. And I think, you know, when people are young and parents, you know, have children that get that autism diagnosis, they can only think of worst case scenario. So mm. I want to go back to... To, to your childhood, were yep. there signs or things you can think of that maybe now when you look back, maybe were those kind of first signs of autism? And when were you first diagnosed? Yeah. So I wasn't actually diagnosed until three years ago when I really? was- Really? As um, an adult? Yeah. Yep. And I was 21 at the time. And that's, that's quite common. You hear that in a lot of girls, because as you said, there's this stigma or there's this sort of false representation of what autism is that we've seen uh, in the media or just um, just historically it's been, oh, that's for boys or, you know, that's for people who really like trains or, or things. Um, and there's actually such a broad spectrum. So when I was really little, there were probably quite a few signs. I was what they call a toe walker. So I never walked flat on my feet. Um, I would walk around flapping my hands as a way to self-regulate. Uh, I loved like collecting things and sorting things. I was very uh, consumed in daydreaming and in my imagination, creative play, that sort of thing. Uh, and I struggled to connect with my peers. You know, I either wanted to boss them around or like I just didn't quite know how to connect with them. Uh, so those are some sort of early signs that my parents noticed back then. Is there any sort of moment that you remember from from being a child where it maybe started hitting you like this isn't just me being socially awkward. This feels like it's something different. Yeah, I can think of lots of times, probably around the age of seven or eight, when you're sort of first aware of, oh, I actually have to put effort into friendships. We're not just playing next to each other on a playground. I actually grew up as a missionary kid on a ship. So that was a really weird environment anyway to grow up in socially. We were a school of only 20 kids in total, and those kids changed every year. So in terms of when I first started noticing that, there'd be situations where just girls wouldn't want to hang out with me. And I didn't know why I felt like I'd always done something wrong. Yeah. I just played a lot better by myself. Uh, but I really craved that sort of having close friendships. Uh, and then high school obviously is that's when it becomes glaringly obvious that hang on, I think I'm different from everyone. Uh, they don't seem to be finding this as challenging. I would look up like articles of how to have a conversation and what to do when you're like, should I hug or handshake? Or I'd come up with scripts for, you know, going to a party. Who do I say hi to first? What do I do? Do I put the present here or there? And, you know, all these social cues that came naturally to other people, I sort of had to figure out manually. 
It sounds yeah. stressful. That, that sounds like stressful <laughs> to have to think about. Was it stressful to kind of deal with that anxiety? Yeah, absolutely. And anxiety is a great word for it. Um, I was actually diagnosed with an anxiety condition. Um, I was six and seeing a psychologist because, I mean, they didn't know it was autism, but all they knew is that I was so highly strung and just couldn't relax. And it's like I took everything so seriously. I just wanted to figure the world out and I never trusted adults or I didn't, I didn't know like people didn't understand me. And that was like, I was stuck in my own little, little head, not quite knowing how to express what was going on. You used a really interesting word in, um, you know, when, when you filled out the form to, to be on this show, you gave me, you know, a couple paragraphs about your story and you used a word that, that really hit me in that. You said when you were growing up before you were diagnosed, you just said it felt like a sense of otherness. So Mm. Which I think is a really unique but poignant word in your story. So can you uh, describe what it felt like and how that sense of otherness influenced your life before you were diagnosed? Yeah, I think um, for me it came, it was sort of multi-layered, obviously in the realm of, of social communication, which is a big part of autism. It was noticing I'd be in conversations and someone would say something sarcastically and I would take it literally and I was slower to pick up on jokes and I just was kind of like that wet blanket that I just was trying to understand but I couldn't just go with the flow and it was never spoken out loud that I was different but I I just sort of picked up on, oh, I'm getting funny looks or people kind of think I'm trying to be funny when I'm taking things literally, but I just don't understand what they mean. And then and then in terms of sensory processing, which is another huge area for me, it was, oh, no one else is hearing that buzzing that the light is making and getting distracted from their schoolwork. Yeah. So I think just noticing slowly that, okay, maybe what I'm experiencing isn't what everyone else is going through. So how did that impact your faith, though? I don't know if you, if you were raised Christian, if if you were, but did did that translate into kind of confusion in in anything church related or anything in uh, in a faith community? Yeah, that's that's an interesting one. I definitely um, grew up in a very Christian environment as missionaries. That was all I'd ever known, um, and I think for me, my faith was something that was really deeply intimate because to me. God was the only one who who knew my thoughts. And, you know, the Bible said that he knew my thoughts. And that was like, oh, wow, someone actually gets me. He's right here with me. So that was really special and something I definitely clung to as a kid. But in terms of church as a whole um, and thinking about theology and those deeper questions of life, there were definitely things that I think I struggled with because of autism, like taking things literally. But just sort of some of those things in the Bible that I go, oh, hang on, does that still apply today? And I really wrestled with yeah, some of those aspects of faith. So what led to kind of getting that diagnosis? Like, was that something that, you know, happened naturally? Was it something you p- pursued? What brought you to the point of getting diagnosed? Yeah, so it was in 2020, which was a big year for us all. And my parents had just moved overseas for work. And so it was the first time in my life at 21 that I was without them. And I was sort of figuring out life and things on my own and realizing, oh, it's it's actually really hard to function without the routine of that mom and dad were unknowingly helping me with. So suddenly it was, oh, I, I'm forgetting to shower and eat and shop and actually going to the grocery store on my, on my own is, it feels impossible. And all these things that had probably always been there, but I just hadn't noticed until that year. Um, yeah, and it started- I because growing up on a ship, 
<laughs> you, mm. you said, you know, was there any part of you that's like, maybe it's just because I grew up on a ship and not that there's something wrong with it? Like, I feel like there's that easy excuse of like not having the social norms that the rest of the world has. Was that something you you considered? Yeah, totally. Uh, we moved back from the ship. I was there from when I was one year old to 11. So just those really formative years. And I was the really weird kid and I was bullied a bit. And I think my parents and even myself, like you said, I was like, oh, well, I'm just different. I've got this whole other paradigm of life. I'm not into what's popular at the moment. I don't know music and songs and movies. So definitely that was kind of like the, the excuse for a while. So let's get back to you to you getting diagnosed. You know, you grew up on a ship. You had kind of these awkward teenage years where you're trying to figure out life. Now you're on your own and mm. you're realizing like, man, I'm really struggling with some of this stuff that could be basic. So what yeah. led you to the point of asking for help? Well, was there a moment where you realized like this is out of my control? Uh, I think it was a succession of a lot of moments of just feeling so stuck in my own head and going, surely this is not normal because I've been seeing a psychologist all my life and no one had really ever picked up on those other things. Maybe I'd catch them inside. So, you know, I remember being on my bedroom floor, just in tears, talking to God going, I, I don't get it. I feel so different and there's no explanation for it. And that's really hard because that just means there's something wrong with me. Uh, and I'm failing at uni. Like I'm struggling. I can't go to class. I'm a, scared of all these scenarios it's I'm just exhausted and anxious all the time and yet my faith is strong like am I causing this what's happening uh so yeah that's when I sort of started to seek out are there other people who feel like this it started with finding other people who had sensory sensitivities and then I noticed oh a lot of these people are autistic but I thought that was just boys so doing a lot of research and reading and eventually going oh my goodness this could be it. Well, you kind right. of figured it out on your own is what you're saying. Like you kind <laughs> of saw the signs. You you reached out to people who struggled with similar things to you and kind of got your answer before you were officially diagnosed. It seemed. Yeah. Yeah. So I went to the psychologist um, and said, I think I have this. Can we please do a test? Because I want to know once and for all, am I crazy? Is that what it is? Yeah. Well, how did it feel to officially get diagnosed? Because I think there's a lot of people who might see that as, sad or hard and some people who might see it as a relief of finally you know having a name to this this thing that that I've gone through where did you where do you lie on that how did it feel when you officially like heard those words yes you are autistic it was such a huge relief um, really I felt so free because it didn't change all the struggles I had I mean I've always had them so had I not got diagnosed or I still would have had them but knowing what I was dealing with knowing that I wasn't alone that other people could relate and that it wasn't my fault that you know my brain is just different and I have different needs from other people was amazing I was I was over the moon and I think my family then went through a bit of a journey of I guess feeling a little bit of that sense of guilt of should we have gotten her diagnosed sooner would life have looked different if you know teachers or um, just people supporting her had known. I mean, I don't know what life would have been. I'm glad I grew up without people telling me what my limitations were. Um, I'm thankful for that, but I'm a huge advocate for knowing what you're dealing with and having a label for it. Now, what was it all positive though? Because I, I have to be honest, like j just, you know, interv interviewing you and knowing very little about autism in general, I feel like because of all the misinformation, because of all the judgment from people, because of all of that, was there any part of that that was like, it's it's hard for me to believe as someone who doesn't know it to say like, it was all positive, it was all great because there's gotta be that other element and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I can handle it. There's gotta be that other element of, I just got a diagnosis. 
there's something, I don't want to say wrong with me, but there's something different about me. And there's people out there who have their assumptions about autism. So was there a level of fear at any point after that diagnosis at all? Yeah, I think I was really at peace within myself and that was all positive, but definitely thinking about, oh, is this now something that I tell people about um, and how do I do that? I was dating my now husband at the time, so he was there on that journey and I sort of had to say, do you, do you want to keep dating? Like, Because clearly this isn't going away, this is lifelong. And there was also that process of grieving, basically, of going, I feel really sad for younger Maddie who who didn't know and who thought there was something she was doing wrong that made friendships hard or, you know. Um, so yeah, I took a year from my diagnosis before I told um, anyone beyond my immediate family and best friends, because I wanted to be able to understand it a bit more for myself and have some answers when people, you know, I get questions, are you really autistic? You don't seem it. Um, so I wanted to be prepared for that because that was hard. So how did people react? Was it generally good? Was it confused? Were people scared? Like how did, as you told people, what was the general consensus of people close to you? Yeah, I think for people close to me, it was a little bit of both. A lot of people went, oh, that actually makes sense. And that was really nice because I mean, they they knew me well. They'd seen behind the mask that I put on, but there were plenty of people who also said, oh, that, that can't be right. Are you sure? I'm, I don't see it in you. And that, that was difficult because to have to sort of defend, no, like this is who I am. I mean, maybe I haven't been entirely myself around you and that's that's sort of hard to come to terms with. But I've had so many, because I share about it openly now, so many messages from people who've gone, I had no idea what I was wrestling with until I saw that someone like you is autistic. It's just changed everything for me. Now I can find a diagnosis because it's shown representation that wasn't there before for some people. I, I want to go back to you. You know, you mentioned you have a husband and, and you know, you, you mentioned kind of quickly when you talk about telling people, you know, mm-hmm. there's telling people and having friends and then there's dating and having a relationship, which is a totally different beast when it comes to having a diagnosis like autism. Yeah. Because I, I think there's f- friends, you know, you can kind of keep at a distance. You can change your relationships with them. But when you're dating somebody with the intention of marriage, this is someone who's going to be along for the ride forever. So how did that conversation go when you had somebody that you're interested in? And I assume you were dating him at the time, yeah. or, or maybe you told him before you guys were officially dating. But <laughs> what what is that conversation like when you tell somebody, I have autism in a dating relationship? Yeah, well, I've only had that one experience of it because we got married. Before we started dating, I was in that process of going, maybe this is what I'm dealing with, but I hadn't had the diagnosis. So I did tell him, hey, I think I think this might be what, what I have. I, I might be autistic. That would mean that these struggles I have, the anxiety, sensory sensitivity, you know, having to have weighted blankets that we'll sleep with one day, just little things like that. Are you on board with that? Um, because I, I recognize that it can be a burden for that person close to me. You know, he makes phone calls. He can drive me places. There are things that he steps in and helps with that I can't do or that I struggle with. So I gave him the chance. I said, I know that's big. Can you pray about it? And so he did. We were in the car one night and we'd said that and sort of said goodnight. And I went, okay, God, I just have to trust you because this guy's great. But if he wants to run, I have to trust that I'll be okay. Just release him to, to figuring that out. And he came back to me the next day after praying about it. And he said, he just got a really clear sense that, nope, this is something I still want to pursue. 
in, in many ways, the things you liked about me were, were uh, autistic parts of me too. It wasn't just that that was the bad side. Yeah. So we've, we've made a lot of accommodations for each other as we've gotten married and learned more about each other. But I'm so thankful that then into dating, you know, he was the one driving me to my appointment and celebrated with me when I got diagnosed. It was special to do that together. So what are some of the the struggles that people who are autistic have in dating? Because, you know, you you tell him you get diagnosed, but now you've got, you know, a, a lifelong relationship to go and you guys got married. So what are some of the struggles that you guys went through? Because I, I would bet there's people with autism who might be listening, who can think, you know, a lot of people see that diagnosis of no one's ever going to understand me. No mm-hmm. one's ever going to want to date me. And even if they do want to date me, it's not going to be easy. So yeah. I'd love to give some realistic expectations to what, what that looks like. And you talked a lot about the good. Like he, he liked the parts of you that are autistic and aren't autistic. But what are some of the struggles people can expect in dating someone with autism? Yeah, it's worth mentioning that I cannot speak for anyone else but myself. But yeah, for me, one of the big things in dating that we found hard and even now was the way I cope with change and that I really struggle with that as part of autism. I have that very sort of rigid, if you say you're going to do it, you do it. Um, So plans changing on me or cancelling or even just spontaneous ideas of, hey, do you want to just go down to the beach right now? I'm like, but that's not part of the plan. That wasn't you know, so that was a big thing that he had to adjust to. And I had to, yeah, basically just say, Hey, when you do that, I find it hard to trust you basically. And even though I know that that's irrational, that's just, that's just how I feel. So we've become a lot more routine and structured since getting married. Uh, But definitely he pushes me out of my comfort zone in really great ways too. So that's one area. Um, then the sensory processing stuff, there's, you know, things like we, we do sleep with weighted blankets and I struggle with driving at the moment. Uh, and so he'll have to pick me up and stuff for things, or he'll help me interpret texts and he'll read an email before I send it just to make sure my tone is okay. Or I'll definitely bounce off a lot of questions about like, oh, how are they feeling? Like when empathy doesn't always come naturally, we workshop a lot together. So yeah, those are some of the the main things that affect him, I guess, in our relationship. If, if, if you had someone in front of you who has autism, who is afraid to date or is afraid to be open about their diagnosis to other people, what advice would you give them? I think a big one I would say is that you have to go into a relationship being your real self, not, not hiding who you are because if you're not upfront about, you mean like your struggles and the things you find hard, then at some point, you know, whether it's a year in or five years in, you're going to get exhausted of trying to keep up the facade that, you know, you're okay all the time, for example. So go into it being really honest about, hey, sometimes I'm really exhausted by social situations or sometimes I don't want to text you back or, hey, I find it hard to shower every day, just things and just be trusting that God will bring the right person there who not only is capable of, cool, I can support you in that, but wants to, because yeah, you still deserve to be loved in that way. Now, I, th- I think there's the, the big part of this story is is your faith aspect of this, because I think there's a lot of the misinformation that's out there when it comes to autism can come from Christians. And, you know, I've personally see- seen Christians say, you know, autism is a demon. You've just got to pray it away or um, autism can be healed through prayer and, you know, th- th- that sort of thing. So 
you know, you, you've said that you, you said in, in your initial message to me that you've had periods where you've doubted God. Did that have to do with your autism or was it separate from that, your doubting of God? Um, for me, that was separate. Yeah. Uh, just I think as any Christian who who grows up in such a close church environment reaches a point where they go, is this my own faith? Um, is this just what I've been led to believe? I have to figure it out. So yeah, not so much to do with my autism, but definitely my relationship with God, I think has been uh, strengthened in, in many ways because of that. I know I said before that when I was younger, knowing God was the only one who truly understood my thoughts was really powerful. And yeah. What are some of the misconceptions you've heard from Christians? Has anyone said anything that either confused you or just made you like shake your head and be like, how do you even think that about people with autism when it comes <laughs> to Christians? Yeah, I think you already hit the nail on the head with uh, people thinking, well, you need to be healed from that. And yeah, or just to pray it away. And I would say that, no, I was I was made this way. It's just part of how my brain is wired and I don't I don't need healing from it. I've also had Christians say that, yeah, by having a diagnosis and putting this label on myself that I'm not living as a child of God, I'm trying to add other things to my identity. And again, it's, it is part of my identity in the same way that, you know, your hair color or, or other things about yourself that are inherent to who you are also form up who you are in God's eyes. Um, and you can't separate the two. So I don't want to be cured. I don't need to be. Um, yeah. Disability isn't something to be afraid of as well. And I would love to see like more accommodations made in churches for autistic people and neurodivergent people. Well, what are some of those accommodations that, that churches can make? Because I'm, I'm sure there's pastors and ministry leaders who, who are listening right now. And I think people underestimate how common the autism spectrum is. Like mm. I, I would bet in every major church, there is a there are a groups of people who are autistic or have Asperger's or anything s- similar to that. So yeah. what can they do to make the church a more welcoming place for people with autism? Yeah, I think some really simple ones like having a, a safe sensory space at the back. I know a lot of churches have mother's rooms, but having a place where, you know, if the lights are too bright or things are too loud, that you can still be part of church and that service. But, you know, in a more closed environment, having people on the church staff, whether formally or not, who are just like ready and available and looking out for, hey, is anyone just standing by themselves after the service awkwardly, like including them um to normalize stimming. So stimming is like that self-regulation. Uh, so things like flapping that I spoke about before or rocking in worship, there are things that I would love to feel comfortable doing and um, yeah, to help me regulate myself in that space. But the stigma around stimming is that it's it's bad or it's distracting for people and makes them uncomfortable. But I think we can make autistic people feel, no, you're welcome here too. And you don't have to just sit still the whole service. If you can't, then that's okay. You can pace up the back, you know, just simple things like that. So what are some of the other misconceptions? Like, like you, you just mentioned that, you know, stimming is something that, you know, people who don't understand what's going on, they can be fearful of it or think it's weird or, you know, something like that when it's it's perfectly normal. And you, and you said, you know, you kind of want people to come alongside you and, and help you feel safe with that. So yeah. what are some other big misconceptions that you've seen about autism in general? One is about... I don't know if you've heard the term Asperger's and that as a condition. I hear that a lot. And I think 
people um, aren't aware that that's no longer a diagnosis. So traditionally, oh gosh, that I just said that. I just said that. I think <laughs> earlier, so I didn't know that. So it's no longer a diagnosis. Yeah. So in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of of Mental Disorders, uh, that's the sort of diagnostic criteria that we use. I know in the states and here in Australia as well. Uh, in 2011, that was that diagnosis of Asperger's was removed and autism spectrum disorder now covers everything. And I think that's just an important one because people often say, oh, well, you must be Asperger's because they associate that with, oh, well, that's like, I don't know, the, the smart end of, you know, autism. Yeah, one of the reasons that's been taken out is because it's a kind of a problematic diagnosis. It was named after a guy called Hans Asperger who collaborated with the Nazis in World War II. And basically it was about separating people based on their usefulness for society. And I think, yeah, that's not a healthy thing to do. Um, yeah, at any, no matter what struggles you have being autistic, you're, you're still a valuable member of, of community. Yeah, so that, that's a big one that I, that I come across a lot. Uh, so language is important. So, um, and then just like the word disability and just not being afraid of, of calling something for what it is. I would say I'm disabled because of my environment, because... There are things that aren't set up for someone with my neurotype to function well in, like shopping centers. I, to be honest, I feel un, un, uncomfortable saying that, like d- describing you as a, as a disabled person, because like I think that has so many implications to it. Like I think mm. people, when they say disability, it, it almost feels like it it has to be severe, you know, mm. for it to be a disability, or it has to be noticeable, or really hold someone back. And I think there's those. I don't know if this is the right term. You can correct me. Like quiet, quiet disabilities, hidden, or like, hidden disability. Yeah, yeah. Or like, like you, you describe yourself as disabled, and it's funny because I wouldn't describe you that way. Yeah. And it, it feels like it can feel like a bad word. It mm. feels like a bad word to me to call somebody disabled or to use that to describe somebody. But you're telling me it's it's okay to use that word. Yeah, yeah, and a lot of um, a lot of autistic and and disabled people would agree that they actually just prefer people calling it for what it is. It's not saying there's anything wrong with me. It's saying that hey, your environment isn't set up for you to function the way everyone else can. You know, everyone else is. It's like they're driving an automatic car, and you're in a manual, and you've never been taught how to drive. That inherently makes life a little bit difficult, more difficult for you. Um, yeah, so d- disability is not a bad word. So how can, I mean, I, I don't have anybody close to me that I know of that, that has an, an autism diagnosis. So I would love some advice from you. If someone were to come to me and tell me like, hey, I got d- diagnosed with, with autism, how do I love them better? Like, what, what do I do? Is it something I just need to, it feels wrong to say I should just ignore it and, and treat them the same, but do I need to treat them the same? Like, what are tips? Because I would bet everybody, like, I probably do know somebody with autism yeah. who either hasn't told me or hasn't been diagnosed yet. So how do we love people with autism better? I love that question. Um, I think the first thing when they tell you is just say, hey, thank you so much for sharing that with me. Like, it takes guts to... Um, open up about that. And so you can be flattered that um, someone trusts you in that in that space. Uh, a big one is is just asking questions um, because every autistic person is, is different. You can do all the Googling in the world and read all the books, but um, you need to get to know your friend specifically and what they find hard. I had friends who 
I'd always just pushed through these difficulties I had when we caught up for coffee. I really struggle with auditory processing, for example. So I found it really hard to tune out background noise. So once I told them, they would make sure that we um, sat outside from a cafe or not next to the coffee grinder or the bathroom queue that people would be brushing up against me. And they'd put me in the corner and they'd take off their sunglasses so that I could see their facial expressions and try my best to you know, interpret them. So just little things like that, they'd offer, hey, can I give you a lift? Because I, I know that that's stressful for you or not calling me on the phone, just texting me. So there were so many like little accommodations that my friends and family have done for me. And so you can just ask what would help. So if it, I, I want to cl- close out with, with this, is if someone is listening right now, and they think they might be autistic or they recently got diagnosed and they're they're finding that feeling stressful like that mm-hmm. um what do you want them to know as somebody who's been through it because you had you know the the you know you described it as an awkward childhood and then mm-hmm. you went through a diagnosis went through the ups and downs of that and here you are seemingly on the other side of it i know you still have a long journey ahead of you and autism is going to be a part of that journey mm-hmm. but what do you want to say to those people who are in your place that you were in years ago? Yeah, great question. I think to find community. Um, I know for myself, I wasn't, I didn't know of anyone in my circles that was autistic. So I found that online on Facebook groups and just hearing people sharing same the similar experiences and having advice was like, I'm still in those groups and it's it's really beautiful to feel like there's there are people who get it. I also think just remembering that it's not, like nothing has changed since that diagnosis. You're the same person. You're not a burden. And that actually being equipped with with that label is just going to help you understand yourself better. That, that's all it is. And you don't have to disclose to people. You could keep it a secret for the rest of your life. But if you're and when you're ready to, you can, you know, tell your university professor, tell your boss. Those are all things I've been able to do to just just be honest and just ask for what you need. And I, there's there's changing uh, understanding and accommodations and people are uh, more ready, I think, to accept and to go, hey, how can we make this space better for you? So what are some good resources that that people could look at? Are there any like books, websites, anything like that, that were really helpful or healing to you in in your process? Yeah, um, uh, definitely the Facebook groups. There are some for like every area you're in. So I'm in one for Australia. Um, Books and things by autistic people, I think is really important. There was this book called Women and Girls with Autism Spectrum Disorder by Sarah Hendricks, which so specifically for girls, because there's a lot less research and material out there. Uh, and then I think- You just, showed me that book and I saw a lot of tabs in there. It looks like you, you this did was, a lot of Yeah, this was before I decided to go for my diagnosis. <laughs> <laughs> I related to every line. And, and then just like, honestly, social media, just finding um, Instagram pages using the hashtag actually autistic uh, is is commonly the the one people use. There are so many pages, Christian and non-Christian. I would just encourage you to just find your people. There'll be people who you don't relate with and have different interests and that's fine. Just find others. Now, how can people reach out to you if they want to get in touch with you? Yeah, I would love that. Um, they can find me on Instagram, probably easiest at Maddie Grace Hope. It's double D-Y. Um, I have a blog and for work, as I mentioned, I also write about my autistic experience and mental health at Anxious Faith. So they can reach out to us there. 
Yeah, I, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story, because I think we, you know, when it comes to things like autism, there is such a blank space in in the church that needs to be filled with the education on this topic, because, uh, you know, you said it, and and I think it's common knowledge that there's a lot of misinformation out there. And, mm. and the fact that people with autism, sorry, I, I never, I, I'm still messing up, autistic, no, no, that's okay. yeah, yeah. Before, that, that this is a good thing, mm. that to you, and that there are people who see it not as a hurdle, that they see it as as a gift and, the, and they see it as something that is, um, you know, a part of who they are and not something they need, they need to be healed from. And I think yeah. there's a lot of people who need to hear that. And I think it can be a beautiful thing. And the fact that you gave, you know, practical tips that people can use. Um, I think this this is going to change lives, the, the, the story that you told. So thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it.